Hi everyone and welcome to Sustainability Explored. Every week, as you already know, this podcast navigates in new topics through interviews with the most disruptive minds in sustainability, turning their experiences working behind the scenes into actionable advice you can hopefully apply and implement in your life. Today we're talking with Team Panagos on the topic of the role of data and futurism in sustainability. He is the CEO of MicroShare. MicroShare offers enterprises scale Internet of Things integration for infection control, occupancy monitoring, predictive cleaning. You also monitor team water usage. Uh, energy usage, carbon output even, and I cannot wait to hear more. Welcome to the podcast. Anna, thanks very much for having me. Tell me, let's start with what does MicroShare do exactly? How does the mm-hmm. this technology work? Sure. So, um, your intro, it's a, it's a big mouthful, um, full of lots of uh, marketing jargon. I think ultimately our job is to make it possible for people who have day jobs to incorporate good data into their decision-making processes. And we at MicroShare have really focused on what we call the built space. So typically the places that people work. And those could be office buildings or could be factories and and mines and airports and shopping malls, and typically places that are large and complex. Because what we have found, what I have found throughout my career is that humans rely on their intuition and experience to manage things. And at the small scale, intuition and clever humans tend to do fairly well at managing things. But as uh, famously, as scale increases, human intuition actually becomes a problem and not always a tool to effectively manage. And so what we've really done is said, look, if we can't manage our built spaces and the um, sustainable affairs within them as they get more complex, how do we address that problem by by bringing data to the table so that people can um, balance better the uh, resource consumption and human well-being within those spaces uh, to make you know just better better decisions for themselves, better decisions for their employees and customers, and ultimately better decisions for our, our, our economy, our, our society, and our environment. Right. Do you offer a kind of device that measures, I don't know, some health metrics? How does it look? Yeah, so I can show one for those who are, are on... Um, on the YouTube, you know, generally what we have done is focused on small, inexpensive electronic devices. We don't manufacture the devices ourselves. We work with a ecosystem of partners who do that, but we integrate these devices. We've sort of built a business model around deploying them at scale. They're simple to install. They're battery operated typically. Um, One of these will have a battery life of three to five years. They use a novel uh, Mm -hmm. radio uh, communication protocol called LoRaWAN that has really long range, but very small bandwidth. So um, you wouldn't use it for video or audio, for instance, you couldn't push that much data, but for things like temperature, uh, for instance, it is uh, more than enough 
bandwidth for, for that kind of information. And the goal of that is to allow us to put these little sensors in all of the places within a built space that are necessary to collect the relative information to make sure we're making best use of that space. So what we've done at, at MicroShare is not really built out any of the novel technologies in that network, but we've integrated them together because what we found was, you know, what, what people call the internet of things is fairly broad, right? It's anything that connects a piece of um, material uh, to the internet notionally uh, to, to provide data. Well, so we've really focused on that wireless idea. We've focused on the long range idea, the low, uh, the battery operated idea, because it's a lot easier to deploy these things and you don't need a lot of infrastructure to do it. And then all of the sort of enabling technologies along the way. And I think one of the biggest innovations hasn't really been technological, it's more of the business model where we talk about this as sensing as a service. So what businesses care about are the insights. What people care about are the insights. They don't necessarily care about the gadget or the network or the storage or the, you know, all of the things that need to be stitched together in order to deliver that insight. Um, why not just be able to rent all of that and have all of those decisions made for you so that you can just get to the business of operating more effectively using the information. So we've really tried to integrate all of that and democratize the availability of these tools for people who generally aren't, you know, large technology consumers. Cause I think that represents the mainstream of the market that I think represents where um, the biggest bang for our sustainable buck will come from. It's not the few small technologically advanced organizations. It's the rest, um, you know, mm -hmm. people who are trying to do their job on a daily basis. There's a lot of companies, a lot of buildings, a lot of spaces, a lot of employees like that who just, you know, don't want the technology to force them to make all these decisions. But if we can put the data in their hands, um, I believe we can uh, have yeah. them make better decisions. You know, two things that make me think of you know, how the internet of things looks looks to me. Two commercials, I think one commercial and one just a picture I saw some time ago on the internet is someone uh, putting himself or herself on the balance to check the weight and the, the, the balance, the scale says 50 bucks or I tweet this out. And another commercial, <laughs> and a commercial where the guy under a pouring rain who just came out of the dentist cannot get home because the voice recognition system does not recognize him anymore. So whatever he says is is nonsense, is gibberish to to the system. And then mm. you know nearby the neighbor is like, "What's going on there?" and opens it with the simple key. <laughs> I guess you know. To me, as funny as it sounds, but the underlying message was, or at least how I perceive it, it's, like, it's scary. How mm. the data is managed? What if my house will stop yeah. recognizing me? What if my my balance will tweet out my weight you know, yeah. to every everyone to see, for everyone to see it? Yeah. Data management is what is of big concern. Yeah. With your little devices, I mean, they are <laughs> tiny, they seem harmless, how mm. the data is managed. So at the, this is the receptor, it yes. receives the information on certain metrics and what happens behind the scenes? Yeah, that's a great question, Anna. Um, you highlight kind of two of the fear points in your examples, which is great. 
You know, one is of the technology failing us, right? In the case of the rainstorm and the voice transmission, or maybe failing us and maybe misrepresenting us. And the, and the other is the idea that technology and the information they generate might hold us hostage in some yeah. way, right? The, the tweeting, the weight. So indeed, I think data management and the way we think about using that data, collecting it, centralizing it, sharing it, um, really is the core of both of those um, items. Number one is you need to be open to innovation and open to taking some risks, I think, in terms of allowing the technology to evolve to the point where it works. And of course, any new device, any new technology, you will find these use cases where, you know, a rainstorm suddenly breaks something. You know, it's a great example, right? Lots of white noise in the, in the background of a voice uh, transmission. But over time, as we adopt, you know, we got this microeconomic idea of economy of scale, which is both driving costs down, but improving the performance of any given um, item that we see in the market, right? So electronics um, classically follows that curve. So as you have a thousand in the marketplace, you'll find that, yeah, they're relatively expensive and they have all these bugs in them. But as you drive more and more volume of these things, as you get to 10,000, 100,000, a million of them, you get the momentum, the human learning necessary to improve them to the point where you can boil both the extraneous cost and those, you know, uh, those edge cases of failure out of the systems. So IoT is kind of on that journey, right? So we still have these voice assistants and, and, and we've all interacted with strange devices um, that don't quite live up to our expectations about what they, what they should do, how they should behave. But I think we all have to step back and say, well, these are, these are cutting edge. These are new. Internet of Things is, you know, in, real, in reality, we've been talking about it maybe for 15 years, but really in the last five years has been the real sort of coming of age of IoT. And we've yet to see that macroeconomic impact of the economy of scale um, kick in to really drive out a lot of these, uh, you know, flaky behaviors. So what does that mean? Well, it means we should probably use them in areas of lower risk to start with, right? Because you don't want to run your heart's pacemaker on IoT if there's only been a thousand pacemakers made this way, right? That's a lot of risk. Once there's, you know, 10 million out there, maybe you do. Maybe the, maybe the benefits are now um, exceeding the risks of being an early adopter. So one of the things that we focused on is you know, redundancy in the devices and focusing on use cases that are not directly health related, um, maybe not directly financially related, um, so that you know, there's less risk implied if, if indeed there's problems we need to fix with devices or problems we need to fit with any of the many components that need to be strung together. And, and ultimately I see that as the mission of getting through that period of, of economic growth with these tools that, um, that make them more reliable, that make them less expensive, that make them more sustainable, by the way, right? How do we do all of that? I think over time, we're going to keep learning as we deploy these, get better and better. The other is the, the potential evil of having my data exploited in, in ways that I didn't expect. And whether that is the robot uh, doing it on you, or whether it's the company or the, the government that is behind the technology, that's harder to address, right? That's not a question of does the tools work? Did the technologies do their job? You know, and, and, a, and, a, and a way to view these is, you know, is this surveillance? Well, it's, it's not a video camera, but in some ways it is surveillance. And 
who do I trust to surveil me? Do I trust anyone? Can I trust anyone? This is one of the kind of central ideas that we founded around was to say, you know, look, we need to manage data because societally humans are lousy at managing big things and our world is increasingly big. It's increasingly complex and we're not doing a great job. So we need to put data, we need to get high quality data synthesized into people's hands so they can make good decisions because resource utilization is killing our environment, right? It's killing our sustainability. I think that's really critical to, to, to put real data into people's hands so that they can, in my mind, most people want to make the right decisions. Um, they have good intent, but if their intuition is fooling them about the outcomes of their actions, because they think they're doing the right thing, but they're doing the wrong thing, you know, that's a vicious cycle that I think we find ourselves in. So I just know that we need to use data to drive. So uh, there's surveillance to collect that data is a necessary evil, I believe for the long run, but I also believe really strongly in preserving individual sovereignty in face of that societal good. I don't believe that the societal should trump the individual in those cases. I believe that there needs to be a balance, that there needs to be a collaboration. So we focused a lot on the privacy aspects of this data to say, look, we need to collect this information. It will be increasingly pervasive. It'll be complete, uh, increasingly ubiquitous. And that will be good how do we make sure that the individual's you know, agency is preserved in all this? How do you know that your data is being used for the right things and not the wrong things? And we've built really at the foundation of our technology, the reason we're called MicroShare is that we give the power to the individual that is being measured or is involved in the ecosystem that's being measured, the ability to see the information that's being collected about them and control the disposition of that data in a very fine-grained way so that you could say, well, I, I'm okay with the data being used for this, but not for that. Use it for building efficiency, but not for marketing. Use it for um, helping my health, but not for the, the human resources process. Um, you can get quite granular about that as an individual because ultimately I think radical transparency is possible. And I think that's the necessary medicine to allow people to shine the, the lights into those dark corners and um, will there be some, some examples of bad actors? There absolutely will be. But if we can shine the light individually and collectively to see how this data is being used, I think we'll find that on the balance it's being used for the things we want and not the things that, uh, that we don't want or that we're not sure is being happened, right? The, the specter of the unknown, I think is one of those scariest things. And I think a good strong flashlight's the remedy for that. Right. You know what I saw somewhere, I think on the website, uh, data marketplace participate mm -hmm. people are allowed to or encouraged even to participate in the data marketplace and yeah. my first question was like well it sounds good like wikipedia if you have some knowledge please share it with everybody on the other hand i was like who would want to do that but if you give this kind of fractions of choice you can opt out i don't want specifically something yet i allow you to uh, to make your technology better why not uh, that's certainly a big 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 advantage that's right what you know when we talk when we talk about marketplace it's you know whether we know it or not we're participating in a in a digital ecosystem um, as complex as any natural ecosystem is you have creators and consumers, um, you have symbiotic relationships, and yes, you have parasitic relationships in the ecosystem as well. And 
what's I think important about an ecosystem is to study the system, right? Not look at any individual component and focus in there because I think to do so uh, is an important yes to understand the individual components, but to look at how the whole system works together. And that's really what we talk about as data marketplace. It's really that whole ecosystem of data creation, data consumption. And I think the individual has to have a, a seat at that table. There is a data ecosystem. They are represented already. At the moment, most people are unaware that they're a participant and, and most uh, vast majority have no say in how their con contributions to the ecosystem are managed. There's no visibility uh, to it. And you, you, you see regulation, particularly in the EU, now coming across to the US, mostly pertain to digital behaviors, right? Data derived from our online activities. Um, that's really positive, but it also provides, you know, some awareness and some tools that are intended to protect the individual in some ways, but there's massive gaps in those legislative uh, areas and they're mostly applied to digital. And I can tell you that as you begin to look around your world and notice how many cameras and audio devices and, and little blinky lights that, uh, that, that these are, um, you'll realize that the uh, amount of surveillance, the amount of information that's being collected about you in the physical world could have much greater risks than your digital, um, right. your digital exhaust. And I think, um, the awareness comes first, secondary, the visibility, I think, is what's really necessary there. I don't want people to be scared of it, but I do want people to be educated. To, um, and yeah, the reason to I want it, it. to know it, but, but if we talk about sustainability, so there's that sustainability aspect of the data ecosystem participation by the individual, because I think that's the societal aspect of this, is a big company, a, a, a government should not be able to um, surveil their constituents without their knowledge, without their control, without the visibility. So I think radical transparency is key for that. But why are we doing this in the first place? Well, we really ought to be looking at how do we inc increase the wellness of those people under surveillance? How do we improve the overall efficiency of our use of resources? Why do we do that? Well, it's to impact our environment less, right? It's to use less space, to burn less fuel, to all these great things that we need to do environmentally, which is, you know, always been really important to me personally. But it's in it's got to be in balance, I think, uh, that we bring those two things together. Yeah, you know, I noticed if I, when I get offended by something, like someone took something from me without permission, be it human to human relationship or the technology or suddenly figuring out that my data was used improperly. I noticed that, you know, I wouldn't care if they asked, you know, if you ask me, normally I have no problem. Please take, use whatever, but only if you asked me in advance, not like, oh, I did this and yeah. you're left with just the fact of being used. So yeah. I think it's very important when you when you give this plethora of choices, do you want to use it uh, for us to track your uh, health, for example, indices or not? And speaking of that, you mentioned to help health factors in the built environment. Let's go deeper in that device. What exactly can it measure and how can the person use that data? Like temperature per se doesn't give me sure. any good 
you know, understanding of my environment. Dryness and uh, humidity, probably a little bit more. What's, what's, what's possible? Yeah. yeah. So one of the things that we have done in putting together MicroShare is to say, we're going to allow the integration of many different types of devices, not only many vendors of those same types, but many different types of uh, device. Because ultimately, the more dimensions that you can measure about a common space, the more insight you can derive from, uh, from that information. So rather than just say, well, we'll measure temperature in this room, what if we mentioned occupancy and temperature? What if we measured air quality, temperature, and occupancy? What if we measured human contact, occupancy, temp? Um, you can see that if we have, you know, uh, maybe not one of these, but, but notionally five of them, even if it is really one that measures everything, we can begin to fold together these different dimensions and show how they interoperate in order to make better you better understanding of the use of that space. So let's let's talk about COVID and the quarantine as a as a possibly probably compelling use case. So um, we've engaged exactly. a lot in yeah right. Um, we've engaged in this idea of contact tracing uh, as a tool, and um, the way that generally works in deployment is we will give employees in a space usually a, a bracelet to wear. You know, something looks like a like a simple um, Fitbit um, mm -hmm, uh, mm -hmm. style or a, or a badge that they can wear on a lanyard for those who have those badges that you swipe in and out of office spaces, we'll give you mm -hmm. one of those. And the goal of those devices is to keep track of, Anna, have you and I been within proximity of each other during a given uh, workday? That might mean that we are within, let's say three meters, six meters, uh, 10 meters of each other. And for what duration? And then potentially also in what area of the built space did we interact? Um, that's that's an interesting an interesting set of uh, sort of social graphing that can go along with that. And trivially, if that's all the information you have, you can do a lot of powerful stuff. Like, what if I am later infected? Um, people use this contact tracing data and in their internal processes to go back in time and say, who did Tim have? You know, fifteen minutes of three meter close contact interactions with over the last two weeks, who should I go notify? Who should I have tested? Who should I suggest quarantine to? Or, you know, whatever the uh, appropriate medical interventions might be for my, my social network. That's, that's quite powerful. As we look at that, you know, that is kind of a reaction of a point in time with only a single piece of data, but still quite powerful. But what if instead I... Uh, now looking at, at how these diseases are transmitted, we recognize both that surfaces may uh, be involved in transmission, but increasingly air quality. The amount of um, particulates in the air turns out to be really important, particularly for COVID transmission. So if I put an air quality sensor in a conference room and I'm now measuring whether the air quality in that conference room is high and, and, and it, will, it will change over time. So let's say you and I don't ever interact directly, but I have a meeting with 15 people in a conference room and our contact tracing bracelets are picking up all of this contact between those 15 people. But then our meeting is over and that 15 people leave the conference room, including me, who will later become infected. Later, you come into that conference room five minutes later. You and I were never in proximity. We never came within three meters of each other. But here you are now sitting in this room 
in which um, the air may be hanging with pestilence. And you don't, you don't know that. And the contact tracing can't tell you that because we, you and I were not in contact, but you were in contact with my air. So what we want to be able to do is put that air quality um, uh, sensor in that to say, you know, Anna, actually don't use this conference room because the air quality is quite low. We can detect that the previous occupants have, <laughs> have, have potentially polluted that air and um, you should use a different room instead. And so you can start to see just with those type of data that you can begin to evolve an understanding over time that transcends the actual contacts to really look at how we relate to the space. Um, apply that to bathrooms, apply that to conference rooms, apply that to um, airplane lounges, apply that to the shuttle bus that takes people to a mine from the parking lots. What you begin to see is as you add more dimensions of this information, as you add the uh, important aspect of ev evolution over time, you can really build up you know, much more important insights that can help you make good choices about how you use the space, um, which ultimately optimizes your productivity as an employee, but also helps you manage you know, your impact on your family and friends too. Because you know, the impact of these things don't stop with the, the walls of the office. We take them home with us. We take them on the bus with us. We take them to the pub with us. And, and so what we really wanna be able to do is yes, measure that complex uh, interaction within that built ecosystem. Then I really wanna put those tools back into your hands so that you can make better decisions. What meetings do you take? Where do you do them from? Which days do you come into the office? Which days do you work from home? Um, and balance the whole ecosystem of information that make that a good decision for you. Right? What's your fastest commute time? What's the least risky uh, disease transmission? When are the people that you want to collaborate with most likely to also be in that space? Right? All of that should come together and, and empower you to make better decisions about how you get things done. And um, you know, the more devices we deploy, the more things we can fold in, like comfort and wellness need to be balanced. Um, maybe we could increase the air quality by opening our windows but if you're uh, minus nine uh, on that day, it's gonna drop the comfort of that uh, conference room significantly. So where's the balance, right? Um, yeah. and, and, and all of those, those kind of sensors providing different um, dimensions you know, um, will arm us better to make more complete decisions. Sounds very empowering and sounds quite systemic you know if i'm use if i'm to use one word let it be systemic how many sensors do you have in it right now what's the what's the scale how many factors can you measure at once yeah great question so we probably have about 30 different types of sensors deployed in our common ecosystem but we see that there are some that just offer a lot of value for their, for their tiny costs, for their tiny uh, weight. And generally those are uh, motion detectors, often talked about as occupancy, right? Is somebody here or not? Uh, air quality, which includes all the things you mentioned, right? Temperature and humidity and uh, particulates and CO2 presence and, and things like that. You get a lot of information from a comfort perspective from there. Um, social networking, the contact tracing and relative location is really important. Those cluster together really nicely, um, those three things. Um, so I would say that you know 90% of our deployments to date 
represent those three things. And then from there, you add things like leak detection and water usage and electricity draw, right? Current, um, all of these more sort of building system oriented, hard space oriented measurements. You can do those uh, and put them together with those kind of three common ones um, and get a lot of power out of it. And what we've done is we sort of classify the devices as kind of category one, which we can deploy 10,000 of them, you know, with two days notice. And then category two, a little bit more complicated. You know, those are, we've got a thousand or a hundred that we can deploy. And then category three, which is more, more complex use case, um, things that might take months to evolve. But ultimately what we think is we should allow people to snap these things together because uh, I think of this as a Lego problem, right? Not everybody's Lego rocket ship will look the same, nor should they. You know, we all have different um, needs. We all have different um, imagination about how we want to measure. Um, we want to allow people to just get good value from those things that we know will work, but we also want to allow them to experiment because people's business models are different. People's jurisdictions are different. Um, and we want to allow for that innovation too, right? Even if it, uh, the scale occasionally threatens to tweet our weight, uh, you know, we need to drive down uh, the risks of those, that innovative edge and then constantly look for opportunities to move those devices up that ladder, right? Just improve their quality, um, drop their costs, and um, and ensure that we can collect good quality data. And the more we get, the more we can weave into those models that help us with um, performance of a of a building and, and wellness of the of the people who transit it. Plug and play solution with an Plug emphasis play. on play. <laughs> I think that's right. I think that's a great way to put it. Um, now, it's probably the nerd in me coming out, but when you look at this information, there's a lot. It's fun. There's a lot of information here, and your listeners um, hopefully will will resonate with that idea that knowledge and information and insight, particularly those that contradict our human intuition, man, sometimes you look at this and you're like, wow, I had no idea this was going on. It's just not what I thought would be there. And the ability to measure outcomes, not like measure actions, right? In, in the world, I think we worry too much about the intent. We look at what people are doing. We don't, it's harder to see what actually is the result of those actions. So if we can focus our attention on, you know, I changed these three things. What did it do in our complex system? Was the outcome positive or was it negative or was it neutral? All right, well, let's go back to play with the, with the parameters again. Because I think where we sit today we haven't figured all that out yet, right? Um, what I believe is we put the data into people's hands, we give it to clever folks, folks who care about well-being and care about sustainability. Let's give them the tools to tinker and explore what the data really says about optimizing that and then share those best practices and see how quickly we can, we can impact the ecosystem. And I think what's important, what I learned in the early 90s when Earth Day you know, came back onto the, onto the scene. I was in college and I'd spent uh, the late eighties, early nineties, actually doing recycling on my campus, which meant, you know, spending my Saturdays picking up, you know, sticky bags of cans. It was very unglamorous. And it was a, it was, it was a problem when you, when you walked to get the cans out of a spot in the, in the university. And then you looked at the trash right next to it, you saw cans in the trash as well. 
Um, and then Earth Day came along, very publicized, very big event going on, particularly on campus. And for a couple of weeks, there were less cans in the trash and more cans in the recycling. But three or four weeks later, it was back. It was back to the ratio. What that taught me, I think, is that you really have to address people where they are if you want a sustainable long-term impact. If you ask them to change their behaviors, they will, but real durable change is um, takes a long time to take effect. What's better is to try to work with their existing behaviors to arm them to do the right thing, to enable them, to empower them, and hopefully not inconvenience them along the way. That I think is what's the difference between say, the environmental movement that I started with and the sustainability movement now. It's the blend of those two things uh, because Absolutely. in their end, I think that's what the system needs to really change. Right. Speaking of fun, how hmm. affordable is this technology? Great question. So we focus a lot on large employers because I think it's the place where we can do the most good and deploying these at scale uh, the the still is expensive, right? But you know our model really is to, uh, as I said, I think offer sensing as a service. So rather than say, oh, this is a 30 euro device, what we do is say, you're going to spend three euro a month on this device and all of the infrastructure necessary to deliver you the insights that come from this device and and a uh, hundred of its friends. And that kind of takes a lot of the burdens of ownership away from people, which I think is useful. It becomes a, um, a monthly expense rather than a capital expenditure, which is important economically. But it also, I think for sustainability, by the way, is important to me and to us because um, it discourages people from just throwing this away when they think it's done, right? I own this device, they send it back to me so that I can reuse it, recondition it, put new batteries in it and put it back in the field uh, because these can have a, you know, a 20 year lifespan if they're treated properly. So rather than treat them as disposable, they, they look like they might be right. They're battery operated. They're small. They're relatively inexpensive. Um, we also don't want to do that, right? If you're going to deploy a uh, hundred million of these in the next five years, um, you don't want all of them to end up in the landfill, um, particularly these lithium ion batteries leaching out. So we built into the business model, the idea that no, they come back to us, we will recycle the batteries, we will reuse and recycle and repair the devices themselves and um, kind of divorce the, the need for the end consumer to really worry too much about that end device. Because in the end, they don't care. You know, very few people care about, you know, the, some of them are cooler than others. That's our feedback device. But what they really care about is the insight that comes from them. that's what they should pay for. That's how we join the economics. Um, so we think we're quite uh, inexpensive, but we're still not consumer level inexpensive. And that's why we really focus on the, on the large employers because they have the, I think, scope of problem. Um, they have the largest benefit economically potentially. And I also think we appeal to employers who are looking to differentiate themselves in a practical way with ESG, not just greenwashing, saying, oh, yeah, 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 look, we put a leaf on our, you know, our annual report, Logo. and that's mm -hmm. good enough, right? <laughs> um, this this uh, allows them to economically take real steps. And I think the data and the transparency that can come from it will increase the systems of accountability, right? As an employee, I would love to know 
how my employer is, is performing actually. Not necessarily have to see you know, how they distill it and how they market it and spin it back, but can I see the real data? Um, are they doing well, are they doing bad? And, and if they're not doing as well as they should, what can I do? Um, what outcomes, what behavior changes? I think you know, the, um, the generations that are now upcoming in the corporate environments are more aware than my peers were of the importance of sustainability, both socially and, and environmentally and you know, all the things in between, but they're not necessarily empowered yet. They're still running on instinct. And I think if we give them data and the tools and the fun uh, to allow them to impact their environments, I think that's what this is about. And then the next generation will be even more tooled along. And as we look at, you know, our impact on our uh, environment, sustainability, social, you know, I think all of that can improve over time. And, and I think data is a good way. Good way to do yeah, that. Tim, you really opened my eyes on the data powers and transparency. Because really, you know, I started with uh, the scale and the, the house that wouldn't open, wouldn't recognize yeah. the voice. But now I, I see more what kind of empowerment it gives to, to humans. One piece of advice from you for the listeners of Sustainability Explored to wrap up mm -hmm. this interview. Great question. I think that ultimately we need to be aware of the possibilities in this space. And I think people who are listening to your podcast are probably already hunting for the possibilities, right? That's probably why they're listening um, probably why they would have sit through the last uh, hour uh, listening to me. If they've gotten this far, then congratulations. The um, the possibilities around the technology don't necessarily need to be dystopian. Yes, there are potential negative consequences, and and in the short term there will be setbacks. But I really my advice to people is to um, be optimistic about what can happen. Look for the way to balance those individual needs with the societal good, they do exist. And often it's not in the plane of thinking that you've inherited from the people before you. Generally, I find those, you know, two-dimensional, but I often find in the third dimension lie possibilities that other people haven't really considered. And I think be curious about that and be forceful about it. You probably bring an intuitive cultural sense that we can do better. And I'm going to tell you that technology is available to enable, empower you, empower you to make that true. And I think the further we get into the 21st century, just the more possibility I see um, for these two things to intertwine, support each other and, and grow. I think we're in a great place. Is it scary? It is because the pace of change is just unprecedented, unprecedented, but it needs to be because we're also facing um, unprecedented uh, downside of past action. And it's really going to be up to, you know, uh, your listeners to latch on and leverage these new tools to really empower them to help us all. Um, so remain curious, remain optimistic and, um, and reach out. Stay Network. hungry. There's others like you. Stay yes. hungry. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you so much team for this interview for, you know, given us all an opportunity to look behind the curtains of microshare, of how the data is managed, of the possibilities of Internet of Things. As you said, it's one of the possibilities that is yet to be explored. Viva Sustainability Explored. 
<laughs> Anna, thank you very much for the great questions as well. Thank you. Ciao, ciao. Ciao. So that was Team Panagos on the future of our data and the um, sustainability aspect of it. I hope you enjoyed the podcast. If you did, let us know somewhere. Uh, you can uh, get in touch with me on LinkedIn or with Team as well on LinkedIn, Team Panagos, quite easily findable. Leave us a review on the platform you're listening on or on our Podchaser page. And let's stay in touch. More new, exciting topics and guests are coming to share their knowledge with you. Thank you so much for listening, for being with us today. And until next time, next Thursday, take care, stay sustainable. Bye-bye.